G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. Oh, g'day everyone. And this podcast today is brought to you by our Patreon community. Without the support of our Patreon supporters, we simply could not bring you this podcast each and every week and also well into the future. If you're a person that enjoys the podcast and you get something out of it and it helps you with your intermittent fasting lifestyle, we'd really hope that you would consider making a small monthly pledge to be able to help us keep the Fasting Highway podcast going. Uh, You can go to the show notes there and you'll see a link to www.patreon.com forward slash the Fasting Highway. When you go there, you'll see two levels of support. You can make a small monthly contribution from as low as 17 cents a day. Uh, You'll get some great benefits back too. You'll get bonus content, bonus episodes. Uh, You'll get early access to the podcast each week. At our top tier there, you'll be able to listen to the audio version of The Fasting Highway. And one of the best things about it is you'll get an invite to our Zoom meetings uh, to connect with our other intermittent fasting uh, members there in the Patreon community from right around the world. Uh, So please consider that, and I'd really appreciate that if you could. Oh, g'day, and this is episode 178, uh, brought to you by our Patreon community, as you just heard. I just wanted a big shout-out to our new members this week, and Keith, Laurie, Laurie B., uh, Roz, uh, Susan, Patty, Angela, Anita, Christine, Nancy, Angelina, Laura, Denise, Amy, and Mark. Thank you so much to everybody, and thank you to all the members of the Patreon community. Okay, well, this week we're going to be talking with Ed Pienta. And Ed lives up there in Illinois, near Chicago, in the United States. And Ed's had a lot of trial and tribulations with his weight his whole life. And from an early child where he was tagged as husky, the weight has always been a battle for him. And in his working life, among other things, Ed was actually a baseball scout for some 20 years. And you'll hear something pretty exciting about that in the podcast. Without any further ado, I'll get him to tell his own story. Here's Ed. Oh, g'day, Ed, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. Hi, Graham. It's a pleasure to, and an honor to meet you live, and I'm uh, excited about sharing my story with you because your story really motivated me to no end. Oh, thank you so much, Ed, and um, I think we all need that motivation from somewhere, and I'm glad you found it in that story, and uh, you're here to tell your own amazing story today, but Ed, for those people out there listening, uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit of your backstory and any issues you had and, and just where you got to and found intermittent fasting. I uh, was always a heavy child. I always struggled with weight from this, I think from birth. Even went through a period where our family doctor tried to give me prescription drugs to help me with my weight. 
And it wasn't until I worked at a hospital that I found that when he went into the back room to get me the drugs, it was he was looking at a, a PDR and he was going by my weight and my age and giving me whatever I, he gave me. So, but none of that worked. And I, like I said, I struggled all my life with weight. I mean, I was I was always husky. They called me big boned, um, but I was always active. And my issues was uh, always eating and eating everything on my plate. Then I got into my working life and I, I've worked in hospitals for 30, 30, 35 years. And then I ended up working for the city of Chicago with this park district, always indulged and I just couldn't stop. So I think I, uh, I went up to over 290 pounds at one point and which I then got to the word that I was going to be pre-diabetic, which made me think twice about everything. And I went to a Weight Watchers and actually lost, did really good. I really connected with the person that was teaching the Weight Watchers and I lost like 75 pounds, just as any other diet or anything like that. You always put it back on. <laughs> so I, uh, I bounced around with so, so many diets and Weight Watchers. I, I think I went to Weight Watchers three to four times. I wanted to tell you about your book, the cover of your book. I once saw a book at Borders Bookstores. That tells you how long ago it was. And a guy was on there and he, he was obese. And he had a picture on the left, like you do, of you at your heavy weight. And then on the right, he was wearing a Speedo. And I said, wow, this guy did this in a year. This must be a, a miracle thing. So I went and looked at the book at the store and I read the uh, inside flaps and only to come to find out that he took a year off from work, hired a fitness trainer and hired a cardiologist and a nutritionist and moved to an island. So when I saw your book, I says, nah, this guy, I, I don't think this guy's like that. And when I read your book, I said, wow, he's my hero. So that was great. So you, you are truly what you are on that book and in that book. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you to say, Ed. And um, yeah, I think uh, putting pictures of yourself like that on the cover of a book and sending that out <laughs> into the world was very challenging at the time because you don't know what people are going to think of you and, you know, when people say things like, you know, I'm the hero or, you know, or the role model or whatever it may be. Sometimes I feel like that fireman that's getting an award, but I was the guy that set the fire when it came to obesity. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a mixed feeling, but I'm really glad that my book has done what it did and helped people like you. But Ed, let's get to your intermittent fasting now. So where did you first hear about intermittent fasting, mate? Okay, I did hear about it a few years ago and tried it. And when I didn't see anything happening for over like a month, I gave up. And again, those are there were too many influences to eat fast food and go out with guys and stuff like that. But I think in my bio, I even said uh, when I retired, I'm, I'm at a I'm at a Del Webb 55 and over community, Edgewater and Elgin, Illinois, and. They have great facilities and great people. I decided to maybe take advantage of my own future 
So I, I started at uh, 252 pounds on my first day of retirement. And I started working out, swimming, walking, just general doing uh, bags, doing different games and stuff. And I got down to 240, and I was really happy. And then I kind of plateaued for a long time. And I was really disgusted and discouraged. And a woman here by the name of Fran started a weekly weigh-in. Not like a Weight Watchers thing or nothing where you had to pay to get in. But it was just to show up on a Monday morning and weigh in. So I thought, you know, they're not forcing anything on me. So I, I decided to try to do this. So I did. Well, after about two sessions, I lost ounces. But then I met a woman named Phyllis. And I had known her for the... But we've been living up, my significant other and I have been together for 23 years. But I had to live in this city. So I was only coming up here on weekends until I retired. So I, I, had, I had seen Phyllis before and realized, wow, she lost a lot of weight. So I asked her what she did. And she told me she was intermittent fasting. And I says, I tried that. It doesn't work. And she says, well, you got to give it a chance. That day, November 1st. I was 240 pounds, and I started. I, the next day, I was 16 and 8. And again, it you know it took a while, but I started noticing differences in the way my clothes felt, and then suddenly some weight started coming off. Well, then we move ahead to, at the end of March, I got on the scale, and I was under 200 pounds, and that was the first time in 50-plus oh, years that I saw one in that first digit. It's a lifestyle. It's it's my lifestyle for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous, mate. A big shout out to Phyllis there and um, we're showing you the way, mate. But when you first started intermittent fasting or when, or when your second time you sort of came to it after talking to that lady, what were your immediate thoughts about it? Was it something that you thought, ah, it's just another diet or a fad or is it something that I'm going to change into a lifestyle now that you were retired and you were looking for something that was going to be sustainable? Because of the situation, I, I adapted it as, adopted it as a lifestyle change because now I was more in control of my lifestyle. And I have a, my significant other, she, she's a very disciplined eater. She doesn't have a weight problem and she's very supportive of what I do. I said, this is a lifestyle. I'm going to do this and darn it, it's, it's my lifestyle right now. You know, Ed, I have a lot of guys I know you know, party guys, social guys like you were, going out with your mates, having a few beers, catching a game, you know, that sort of thing. And they say to me, ah, oh, we're too old to change our ways now. But I feel like you're never too old to take up something like intermittent fasting to rejuvenate our health. So what would you say to people out there that may be in their 60s or 50s or 70s and, and looking to change that to a lifestyle? What would you say to them? I, I You have my total backing. I, I tell them, do it because it worked. You can do it. Give it time. You'll see changes. Then you'll see weight loss and you'll see other, what you call your uh, non-scale victories. You'll get more energy. I, 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 Graham, actually just two days ago, I played in my first baseball game. Wow. In 24 years. It was good to get back on the field. I realized the other guys are at the same age I am. It's a 65 and over league. 
and it's actually baseball and uh it was it's been my passion all my life playing ball okay well we got to know ed what was the stats for the game for you well i was 0 for one with a strikeout but i walked twice and one time i walked with the bases loaded so i got an rbi so nice and where do you feel what's your position well, I, I I was a catcher all my life, played third base, and this time I, I just to get the field back, I was in the outfield. I played right field, and um, like I said, I batted three times, and um, I'm ready to pitch. I think I want to take up pitching because I've been working on strengthening my arm, my arm. and I I got to tell you, I, I I scouted baseball and pro baseball for twenty twenty years. Here in, in, I covered the city of Chicago through high schools and colleges. And that's sort of when I stopped playing. And I was just out there watching ball. But then I played again in 1999. That was it. Then I had some issues going on with my life. And, and then I hadn't picked up a baseball in a while. So, yeah. so it, was, it was good to get back. When we talk about the non-scale victories, well, hey, that's a huge one, isn't it? Twenty, Nearly 25 years, ne nearly quarter of a century, and you're back on the baseball field at 70 yep. years of age doing it. I mean, that's just incredible, mate. So let's talk about, yep. you know, I just wanted to circle back in your bio. You talked about your childhood and people called you husky and that sort of thing. And I remember interviewing somebody in America, and they said that their parents used to take them clothes shopping, and the department stores would have these husky sections for larger kids and that sort of thing. And I thought, wow, that must have been so demoralizing for those children. And so let's run through from your childhood. Was it weight something that always was you know, a problem for you growing up? You mentioned in your bio there that your doctors were trying to put you onto diets as a child. Yes, it was never really uh, an issue where I had health issues. It was just that I was big, and uh, you're right. The husky, the husky section section at at Sears department store in the neighborhood probably demoralizing, but not as demoralizing as I did, probably didn't realize it at that age. And that's one of the things that I just love now. I can go to the store and buy clothes off the rack. I mean, I'm fitting in clothes I haven't fit in in years. So. Yeah, we were talking before the show, Ed, about men's health and how important it is to get the checks. And when you sort of talk to your doctors about intermittent fasting, what's their reaction? Well, my my general practitioner, uh, I hadn't seen him in a while because of the uh, pandemic. And I, I showed up for my just a general checkup and he was blown away. He could not believe because the last time I think I was at his office, I was close to 260, and then I, I I weighed in when I went to his office at about 218 or so. So he, he could not believe, and first thing he asked is, what are you doing? And I says, I explained the whole program to him. And I showed him my shirt, not to be uh, not to be pushy on people, but I, I like to, uh, anybody wants to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Yeah, for those listening there, he's got an IF shirt on with OMAD, so. Let's talk about that sort of, you know, how you kicked off. You mentioned there that you started with the 16 and 8 and you transitioned now. You sort of worked your way up. You're now doing sort of 22 and 2 or 23 and 1. And let's talk about, did you get the message of the clean fast from the start, Ed, from the lady you spoke with and the information you had? Actually, that was a little confusing because she, 
she said she she mentioned dirty fasting. So I think she used cream in her coffee or whatever. But then I, I remember reading in Jin's book about the clean fast. So I had done that religiously, and I'm still trying to do that now. Yeah, and so with your eating style, Ed, um, when you first started intermittent fasting, were you sort of eating, did you change your diet much or were you pretty much eating what you were or did you decide to delay a few things? You know, Graham, the one thing I, I love about this intermittent fasting program and lifestyle is the fact that I'm not counting carbs, I'm not counting calories, I don't have counting points like in Weight Watchers, and basically I'm eating the way I used to eat, I find myself eating healthier. But when I want something that I want, I eat it, but I eat it in not as much volume. I, I do I do cut back on the size of the meal. So I, I, I got to admit that I do, I do go to a fast food restaurant once in a while. That has cut down tremendously. But I'm, I'm making stuff at home, making salads, eating smart, and it's been it's been wonderful. Yeah, did you find that sort of as you sort of gravitating towards that high quality food as you've been going along and try to sort of you know ratchet up the nutrition side of things and investigating into what that's like? Yeah, I do that a little bit. I mean, I don't. Uh, again, I think I I get away from the intense like looking at labels and everything because of what I went through through life. All those years, and then I, I, then I pinch myself and go, "You're 70, you know. You want to enjoy something? Enjoy it. You, you're out there walking. I walk two to three miles a day. I have been swimming 30 laps a day. I have an issue with my neck right now, or some tight muscles, and they think that might be from swimming every day. So I'm swimming every other day. But I'm, as you, as you might tell by my what I'm talking to you about is I'm active as ever I've been active. Wow, 30 laps. That's amazing, mate. And that's when you do those things, then you look back, you know, to where you're at your heaviest there. And they were sort of the things that were sort of pipe dreams, weren't they? You sort of you get to that stage, I think, when you carry a lot of weight, you just go, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And all of a sudden here you are running around out playing baseball and swimming 30 laps, you know, living life, you know, 70 years of age. And I really agree with what you said about, you know what, if I want something, I'm going to have it. But I think nutrition is a really important part of intermittent fasting. And I think that's where people sort of lose the message a little bit. Um, for me, I just simply had to change what I was doing because as you read in my book, I was a chronic sugar and fast food addict. So unless I changed my behavior with food, I was never going to get out of that cycle. So I think everybody has to be different and we all come from a different place, don't we? So when you're growing up with your parents and that sort of thing, going through your teen years, going to school, what can you remember about nutrition back then? Was it something that was important in your household for your parents? Not much. We ate as a family, as, as most years ago we did. I was brought up in a Catholic environment. We were always told to eat everything off our plate because some child in some foreign, faraway country is not eating. How wrong is that? You should stop when you are satisfied. But my parents, my my mother always cooked home meals, and uh, and, it, and it's a Polish, we're Polish background, so Polish people eat well, <laughs> and uh, I ate a lot of Polish sausage and 
things like that. And again, it, it was always, I found food as an emotional crutch. I always, if something went wrong at school or something, I'd want a sandwich or I'd want popcorn or something like that. So, yeah, emotional eating is a big thing for a lot of people, isn't it? You know, stress especially. And you mentioned before the show that you've got two boys that are policemen there in Chicago, and I can't imagine how stressful that can be uh, for you. So I guess that's a coping mechanism you just have to work through. Yes, I, I mean, I worry about them every minute of every day. I'm uh, always glad to hear their voices. Both of them have uh, experienced people they've worked with or knew that from the station where they worked that have gotten killed. And uh, I saw them go through some really emotional times. Time that now for policemen is not a good time to be a policeman. But I was so proud of their 17 years into their careers. And I was so proud of them when they became policemen to help people. And, and now I wish people would respect policemen more. Yeah, and we thank them for their service. And um, they're twin boys, aren't they, you mentioned? Yes, uh, not identical. They, you wouldn't even know they were brothers. Wow, they must be immensely proud of you, Ed, I would imagine. Well, they're they're happy that uh, I just took a couple of vacations with one of the boys and his three girls. We walked through Bush Gardens and uh, Universal Studios. And at the end of the trip, he just said, Dad, I'm so glad you are active because if you weren't, you wouldn't have been able to keep up with us. So, and now they're both proud of me that I'm actually going back to the baseball field. Yeah, that's fantastic. And sort of when you retired, did you feel like you wanted to get healthier, obviously, to enjoy your retirement years? And do you feel like now through finding intermittent fasting that you've set yourself up for longevity? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is my lifestyle. This is what I'm going to go through. Uh, like in your podcast and everything I've read about you, I'm going to have times where I'm going to fluctuate things. I mean, there's going to be a weekend where I'm going to have two meals or whatever, but I know it's not devastating. I, I mean, right now I'm, I've been playing with the last two months. I've been playing with the, uh, the looking forward to maintenance and I've been fluctuating between three and five pounds, but maintaining. And I, I feel good about it. And now I want to get back to, uh, more intense trying to lose and hopefully get down another 10 pounds. And that, that would be the lightest I've ever been, really. So, yeah, I think when we lose a bit of weight, Ed, we sort of got to set ourselves a goal range rather than a goal weight. You've probably heard me talk about that before because it's really important mentally that you don't sort of get set on a number where you just think, I need to be 170 or whatever it may be because that's going to mess with you. Whereas if you were to say, I want to be 170 to 175 or whatever it may be, for me, it's four to six pounds, right? So it's two to three kilos. I'm a big guy, six foot five. So if I stay in that range, I'm pretty comfortable. And simply when I'm maintaining, it's just a case of if I'm getting up to the top of that range, I just, you know, tighten things up a bit, be a bit more vigilant and get back down the lower end of that range. So if I get right down the lower end of that range and fall below it, well, then I'll broaden things out. So it's recalibration, and I find maintenance is a much different mindset. Now, you've obviously been thinking about that, how you're going to set yourself up for maintenance. Yes, and that, and that was something I, you know, I, again, got from your book and, and listening to your podcast. Uh, I love that you promote the fact that 
you can go out and have a bad weekend and get on the scale and see the raise in your weight, but it doesn't matter. It'll come off once you get back to, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. I've experienced that. And I, I mean, that's all part of this lifestyle. I believe it. Yeah. Well, it has to be a lifestyle and it's got to be sustainable. I mean, you can't go through life and, you know, some people would say, oh, you know, Saturday's not a special occasion or whatever. But for me, weekends are very special because that are times we get to spend with our family. That are times we get to spend with our friends. That's the time we're out seeing our children play sport. You know, you make all those social connections. And also it's a time when you're not working. It's your rest period and recreation. You're working out in the garden or whatever it may be you do on the weekends. You love sitting down and watching a game. And it's just something that is very special to me. And I find that, you know, it doesn't have to involve a heap of food now. That's the difference. Whereas before it was all around food, meeting people in the morning for breakfast, meeting people for lunch, meeting people in the afternoon, going out with a drink with a buddy for a drink in the evening. So it was a constant thing. But now it's not controlled by food. It's much different. So, but we just, as you said, you can't put on three or four pounds in a couple of days. It just, it just doesn't happen in fat. So it's water weight, it's extra volume and that sort of thing. So when we return to our normal protocols, we normally by Wednesday for me, that sort of, you know, weekend weight sort of blows off a bit. Oh, definitely. And I, I've seen that happen. I've experienced it and I'm okay with it. Bobby, my significant other and I, we set up Saturdays. We have a lunch every Saturday, but I plan around that. Uh, when I do visit my boys and my grandkids in the city, I call ahead and ask, are we going to have something to eat together or, or what? So I can plan it. I can, I, I love planning the fact that my eating window comes to where I want it to be. So yeah. just being flexible and moving it around a bit. And if you get invited yeah. to events, I know Ed, and you probably read that in my book that when I was losing the weight, I was so focused. I wasn't moving around for anybody, right? I just had to do that 23 and one because I, I just wanted to get the weight off. But in hindsight and knowing what I know now, the flexibility has to be there to be sustainable for life. And then when I got to maintenance, I thought, okay, well, I've got all this weight off now. Well, how am I going to keep it off? Because as we know, with a lot of things, when it comes to weight loss, regain is a big thing for people. And I find that, you know, we talk a lot about losing the weight, but we don't talk about maintaining the weight a lot post sort of, you know, obesity or excess weight. And so I think that's another mindset shift again, when you move into that sort of, how am I going to maintain this? What am I going to be doing? And what am I going to do if my weight gets up? What are the checks and balances I need in that maintenance lifestyle? And sort of, for me, it's data. That's why I weigh every day because I'm able to see that number and I know where I am all the time. Whereas some people say, oh, they rely on their clothing or their pants. Well, the problem is if your pants get so tight, you can't do them up and all of a sudden you're up 20 pounds, then that's a hard to get back. Whereas if you know the data and you can see the numbers, you can control it a lot better. That's just how I feel about maintaining. Well, I do weigh every day. I, I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I do use that as a, uh, like you say, for data. I just, you know, the other the other good things that have happened, I mean, all my clothes and I've gotten away from drinking top. I actually, I like the uh, carbonated water. I actually bought a thing called Soda Stream where you actually make it at home because 
I think a lot of people are trying to <laughs> trying to use the water as uh, as a diet tool. So it was hard to get in some places, and with the supply chain problems we've had, so I I make myself a bottle of fizz water, and I I use that every day. Yeah, funny enough, my daughters bought me one of those soda streams for Christmas last year, Rick. and my wife was always at me because I drank so many bottles of sparkling water, plain sparkling mm -hmm. water while I was fasting. You know, we've got to worry about the environment and that sort of thing, putting all these plastics back into our landfill. So my wife said, I've got to get a soda stream, got to get a soda stream, and I never got around to it. And then all of a sudden, my daughter's popped up with a soda stream. So I've been using it since Christmas, and I've got to say I love it. It's just simple. It's easy. Um, there's no mess with bottles everywhere. And my wife loves that, that our, our bin's not full up with plastic bottles going out into the landfill every week. But yeah, sort of when you're fasting, Ed, do you drink coffee, black coffee, or what, what do you do while you're fasting? Just straight water? Uh, no, I do. Uh, I'll do green tea. I'll do. Uh, oh, I heard this on one of your podcasts. It's a tea from South Africa or Africa. Rubos. Robos, right. I'll drink that. And I, lo I love that tea. It's got, it, there's a little different taste to it, which makes it, you know, feel like it's a different thing I'm drinking. But I'll drink black coffee, uh, decaf at night. And now I, I'm doing iced coffee because it's getting warm here now. But um, yeah, I try to, I, I try to stay with the clean fast all the way. Yeah. I mean, we talk about a lot of the positives with IF. Ed, was there any struggles for you? Like you mentioned, you were a social guy with your mates and that sort of thing, and you probably read in my book, I missed that. Was there any struggles in the process of the fasting and getting your head around what you were doing, like mental shifts? Well, well, something that I think you'll identify, because I heard you talk about this a long time, my struggle was passing up a fast food restaurant. There's so many times that I would... Uh, I would go out and do uh, do I, I do side jobs for people. I'll I'll work a little bit, or I'll go see my uh, my granddaughter's play or whatever. And then on the way home, I would have stopped and had a burger at Bur you know McDonald's or burger and fries. You know, since I've started this, that's been totally gone. I don't I don't do any impulse stopping to to eat anywhere at a fast food restaurant. And the other thing is. Uh, because I mentioned I was an emotional eater, and the last couple months, we've had a couple of very stressful times here in our family. And I'm so proud of the fact that I did not turn to food to make me happy, because that's what I usually did. And I also, I knew you had, you say you had the sugar addiction, and I've, I've cut the candy it's it's gone too so yeah it's amazing you know we don't miss things sometimes when we we stop that sort of behavior do we ed and i know i've talked about it before when i was addicted to fast food and sugar i would drive down the road and my car was literally driving me into those drive-throughs at the fast food stores and i was in control it was like my car was just ripping the steering wheel out of my hand and driving in there and i was going no 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 i don't want to do this i don't want to do this and there I was in the line at the, at the dollar board or whatever it may be, putting in orders. And then I'd get it and I'd still be going, no, 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 no. And I'd get out the other side and I'd eat it, I'd regret it. And then I was just doing it over and over and over. It was a constant thing. But I haven't been in a fast food drive through or a chain store for over five years now. 
And wow. when I when I drive down the road, I actually don't see them. It's really weird. Like it's almost like they're invisible to me. I mean, they're everywhere here in Australia. And I know I've been to America and they're on every sort of corner, but we're getting the same way here in Australia. So they're everywhere in your face. But I actually don't see them. I just drive down the road and it's almost like I've got blinkers on and I don't look at them. Whereas before I'd always be looking at them, well, what's on special today? I'd get excited when I'd get things in the post box about, you know, three burgers for $5.99. And, you know, I'd go around and grab all the vouchers from the neighbours too. And I think, wow, this is fantastic. And um, yeah, but I just, I think you know what it tastes like. And when you find out what's in them and what it actually is doing to us, when you get that education, I think that's when you don't miss things. Well, I, you know, I, I struggled with the uh, the idea of uh, you see in some cartoons where there's a good angel and a bad and the devil's on the other shoulder, so they're they're opposing each other, and and so many times in the past, I would I would say, well, it's not a good thing to go into that drive-through, but that devil would just say, oh, it's just one burger, come on, you know, and so I've gotten away from that. And it's it. I the health health wise, I feel ten times better than I've ever felt. Yeah, I mean, you probably read this in my book here, but when I was going through that withdrawal, I spent two days in bed with a doona over my head, basically, and uh, I had exact thing like that. I bad agree. Graham, good Graham, bad Graham was saying, <laughs> "Come on, get out of this bed, go down the drive-through, be happy, go and have some burgers and fries. What are you doing?" And then there was a good Graham saying, "Come on, Graham, you've got to break this cycle. You've got to break this addiction." you got to work through it. And it was a constant battle of those voices. And it was a real thing. And now all those demons and voices, they're now well gone because I've really learned a lot about nutrition over the years and, you know, what it was actually doing to me and done some investigation into the food pyramid and how the advent of fast food and everything else correlated with obesity rates skyrocketing around the world. You know, and obviously sugar's a huge problem for a lot of people, Ed. Um, I mean, what's your sugar intake like now, say, compared to previous life? Almost non-existent. I do, uh, I'll have a, a snack after a meal, but it's usually a graham cracker or a graham cracker. Wow, graham. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> There's That'd a cracker called right? graham crackers, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but I've gotten away from uh, the Hershey's chocolate bars and ice cream and so many things that I enjoyed too much of before. Yeah, and I mean, we're not here to demonize food or judge people for what they eat. Ed. Everybody's got to make their own choices in life. But I think once you actually know, and I always say to people, when you feel like you're sliding off the slippery slope, when you're actually really trying hard to lose weight and all that sort of thing, for me, it's about taking that pause. So what that means is instead of making that instant choice, just take a pause for maybe 20 seconds and just thought process. Just think about it. Is this really going to serve me? Is this what I want to do? Is it going to derail me? And just that little circuit breaker, a lot of the time, will help you stay on track. Whereas sometimes once you've made those choices, you just go, oh, no, what? Oh, I've blown it today. It's too late now. I'm also to go whole hog and you just keep eating and whatever it may be. And all of a sudden you're, Next day, you're up three or four pounds, and then you go into the stage of regret and all that sort of thing. And I think that's a real mental torture for a lot of people. So I say to people, just take that pause, slightly think about it, especially when you're shopping for food at the big box store or the supermarket. Um, just you know, think about it 
And so when you're shopping now, Ed, for food, has that changed much to compared to what it was? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I don't, I, I've walked through the snack aisle with the chips and the pretzels. I don't have any desire to buy it anymore. And that that the carbs were, uh, at one time, my doctor that I have now, I was trying to lose weight when I first was with him. And I says, you know, I'm eating, I'm eating pretzels or non-fat, you know, and he goes, yeah, but you're, all those carbs are turning into sugar. So yeah. you make yourself diabetic if you don't stop. So now I, I don't really get into the, the, that type of snack food, all the chips and pretzels. And, you know, I still eat peanuts, but they're healthy for you. I don't need a bottle of peanuts. I'll have a handful every so often. So, yeah, there's a big difference, isn't there? And I think that's what I've learned over the years about moderation. You know, and people say to me, "Do you never have sugar at all, Graham?" And I say, "Well, of course I do. Occasionally, because just virtually nearly every single thing out there has some type of sugar in it, right?" So yep. let's say I go to a wedding, or my daughter's getting married tomorrow, and she says, "Dad, will you join me in some wedding cake?" Well, I'm going to have the wedding cake, even though I know what's in it, right? Because that's a celebratory thing, and that's sometimes life's too short not to do that. Whereas you, there are some people that will just go the full hog and they'll say, no, I'm, I don't eat that, right? And that's okay. But I think to be flexible in life and to live your life as you see it, then sometimes you've got to make those choices, but it doesn't have to be addiction. And that's the difference. And that's what I found. Like once I broke the addiction and I broke the addiction, but I fast food, I'm just not interested, but I still eat burgers, but I, I just have my, myself and my wife make lovely burgers here at home. We know what's in them. We know how where the patty's from, all that sort of thing. I still have pizza. We make our own pizzas at home. I don't order pizzas or go to Domino's and buy three pizzas for 10 bucks that taste like cardboard. I just don't do it. And um, But yeah, I mean, there are ways that we can do things, isn't there, Ed? Well, it's, and I know you've talked in your podcast and your book about mindset. And that's, I think, a very important part of this. You have to have the mindset that you you can enjoy something without derailing yourself. And I, I really look at it that way. And I do use your method, too, as far as uh, take a step. I call it a take a step back before I jump in at something. So I take a step back and think about it, and maybe, then I would change my uh, whatever I would do. Instead of eating that, I would choose something else. So I think that's what intermittent fasting has done for me and probably a lot of people here. It's just made you slow down and make those choices. And it's even like when I'm eating now, let's talk about your eating style. Ed, do you find that you're more of a mindful eater now and that you're more slower in your food and you're sort of savoring it a bit more? I mean, when I was obese and heavy, it was just volume to me. I was shoveling it in and my fork was a shovel, right? And there was no off switch. But now it's a process where I prepare it, I enjoy it, I savor it, I put my knife and fork down in between and I just take my time and I find it's a much more enjoyable experience now. I'm the same way and I, I was the same way as far as shoveling it in. Right now, I think what I do that's very important for me, think about the portions and how much I'm eating. And I, I do, I'm very cognizant of that. And before that, that would, I, I mean, I could go and have pizza with some friends and I limit myself in my own head that I'm going to have three pieces and that's it. And it, it feels good. 
Otherwise, I'd be the one that always takes the last piece at the end of the meal. You know, they everybody always leaves that one piece. Oh, I'll take it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, we all know that feeling then too well. But, you know, obviously friends, colleagues, people that know you, former workmates must see you now and just go, wow, what are you doing, Ed? Well, it's funny you said that because I, I just went back to my old office about a week and a half ago. And the guys that worked for me, we're all impressed that I uh, that I've lost this weight, and one of the security guards that worked in my in the same building as my office, he did not recognize me, and then when he realized who I was, he says, "Oh, you really lost the weight, and I think you got taller." <laughs> and I said, "George, I couldn't have got taller, believe me," but he said, "But it's the way your body looks. You look taller." So, and you know, great. it's been so good to just see people in our community that stop me and, you know, they just will tell me how much, how much better I look. And I, I recognize that I lost the weight and I really haven't gotten that many that have, have turned to that old uh, thing where, are you sick? Because I worried about that too. I don't want him. I this is on purpose. I went to a surgeon yesterday, and I told him my story about intermittent fasting. After he said, "Well, uh, how's your weight been?" and I says, "Well, I've lost like fifty-five pounds since November." And he said, uh, "And does it have to do with the medical condition you're here for?" And I says, "No, I did it on purpose." And then I gave him the whole intermittent fasting story and he was very impressed yeah i think the medical community is getting on board a lot more now aren't they yet and especially i mean i can't argue i mean you're a guy that's 70 years old and you you look fantastic and you've done so well and you reversed all the sort of a lot of issues that you had around sort of weight but funny you said about being tall um i mean i'm six foot five tall but i think when i was obese i was probably five foot eleven because i was always walking around with low self-esteem stoop my wife said i'd stoop all the time and she well, said, now that you've lost all the weight, you walk so much more upright, you're sort of proud and you walk tall and you're not worried about trying to shrink yourself down so much. And I think, as you said before, the mental side of it is probably for me 95% because it's correcting that sort of how we feel about ourselves when we are obese or carrying a lot of weight. And then once we lose that and we get that sort of freedom and you get out there doing the baseball and all the sorts of things that you're doing, it is a real uh, mentally sort of freeing thing, isn't it? Definitely. And I, uh, I've got to tell you, today I went, to, it was 80 degrees here, and our outdoor pool is open. It's been open for since Tuesday, last week. And, um, you know, I, I, I put my swimsuit on, and I walked on that deck today, and I walked with my head up high, and I didn't care who saw me, and I... I felt a whole different confidence to get out there and get in the pool. Yeah. You know what, Ed? I owned a beach house, right, for 15 years on the beach. I never got on that beach hardly ever without my shirt off and uh, because I was embarrassed about my size. I'd always wear like what we call a rashi here in Australia. It's like a full sun vest sort of thing. Okay. Um, but now, hey, man, I can't wait to run down the beach and take my shirt off. It's just great, you know? You just... You don't care anymore. It's it's a real mind thing, isn't it? Like, you know, I remember I used to worry about breaking chairs, going out to restaurants, or how am I going to fit in at the movies and 
all of that sort of torture that you give yourself when you're sort of a heavy person or how am I going to travel? Or how am I going to fit into that plane? And and once all those things become easier, you don't even think about it. I mean, I go to the movies now, a restaurant, that doesn't cross my mind. So I say to anybody out there listening to this that worries about those sorts of things, then there's a big why to start intermittent fasting. Wouldn't you say it? Absolutely. I mean, we're not, we're not traveling for some different reasons right now, but I have to tell you, uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I went to a Cub game with my son and we went to Wrigley Field and I sat in that chair, you know, the stadium chairs are all made for, you know, 150 pound guys. I sat in that chair comfortably and I felt great about it. You know, it was like, I said, even if I know I, I'm going to get on a plane now, I know I'm going to feel like I don't have to, my significant other, Bobby, she's, she's thin. And I always used her half of her, half of her seat when we flew. Well, I think I can handle my own seat now. <laughs> yeah, know that feeling well. I crushed my wife for years while we're flying. And, you know, you probably read in the book, that was my main catalyst sitting on a plane, you know, sitting yes. crushing, taking up half my wife's seat. And I was just over it. I just thought I can't do this anymore. And travel's a big part of my life. I'm being widely traveled. I've traveled around the world as an obese man and mainly economy sections of planes. And it's been awful to tell you the truth, but I love travel. So I loved getting to the destination. And sometimes I've been lucky enough to fly in the pointy end of the plane because I'm a tall guy. So I'm never going to be able to do anything about that, being six foot five tall. But I can be a lot more sort of not taking up everybody else's seat. And that's a really freeing part of this journey. You mentioned the clothes, that sort of thing, being able to go and select the clothes you want. You've heard me say obesity chose my clothing. Now I do. And that's such a real thing. And, and a guy just said to me today, he said, you always look so stylish when you're sort of walking around now compared to what you look like before. And I said, that's because I can be stylish now. I couldn't be stylish before because there wasn't any stylish clothes for a guy my size. Absolutely. And I, I, I actually usher for the community college up here. I volunteer. I'm fitting into a great pair of pants. I got a shirt and I'll put a suit coat on with, without any trepidation. I mean, I feel good about myself. And you could, I mean, everybody around me sees that, that I've got a new confidence about how I handle myself. Yeah, that's so great. And my wife always laughs at me when I go down to get milk. Like I'll put on a nice pair of trousers. I'll put on a nice jacket if it's, we're coming into our winter here. Uh, I'll put on a scarf and she'll say, you're going to get milk. What are you doing? And I said, you know what? I'm doing it because I can do it now. And I feel good yeah. about doing that. And even though I'm going down to get milk, I know that I can put those clothes on. I feel good in my body and I know I look okay. And it's just something that I really want to do. And some people just throw their tracksuit pants on and slippers and down the shop and they go and get their milk. But now it's just a totally different thing, isn't it? Like we can do these things. Yeah. And another thing is I just had a couple of MRIs done and I actually did one of them without any kind of medication because I'm claustrophobic. And uh, that seems to be sort of erased now too. So, I mean, I, I, I handled the whole operation going into that tube and I felt good about it and I knew it was doing good for me to be there. Yeah. Funny you mentioned that. When I was obese, I went to an, do an MRI and I felt like I was in a coffin with the lid shut tight on me. My, my face and my body were literally half an inch from the top of this big round cylinder thing, right? And then probably last year or the year before, I had another one 
when I lost sort of 132 pounds or 60 kilos and I fitted in so well. And I remember the lady saying to me, she said, oh, you, you're fitting in there really nicely. And I said, yeah, I never used to. And I told her the story just like you with your doctors, you know, you start telling them and they say, well, how did you do that? And I remember thinking how less nervous I am about everything and how less anxious I am now, how less anxious I am in going to a concert or being in the crowd and not worrying about my size. And I just think the anxiety that's gone from my body has been one of the most freeing things I could imagine. And for me, intermittent fasting just doesn't stop giving, does it, Ed? It does not. And uh, the group that was here that where we, we weighed in every week, I actually put an information sheet together for them with the resources of Jim's book and your book. And uh, one of the things I mentioned in the in the sheet that I put together for them is intermittent fasting is not accepted by everybody because there's you cannot make any money off of it. And it doesn't lie in anybody else's pockets, you know? So you, it's all you. And I said, that's why you have to do it. I think that's true too. And, you know, we all have to find our own niche. That's the thing. Some people need more help than others, Ed. That's the point. Some people flourish, some people struggle. And, you know, some people just need that extra portion and extra direction. But I think it's really important when things go wrong, just to self-examine why they're going wrong. And I always find it's usually in that fast. Usually people aren't clean fasting and they're struggling. And they're getting really, really hungry because they're dirty fasting. They're having things like cream in their coffee or they're chewing mints or they're having bone broth, that sort of thing. And it's just making that fast so much harder. And then when they get to their sort of eating window, they're so ravenous and hungry, they go out of control and they just start ripping open the fridge and eating and eating and eating. And then they're overeating. And then so they're not complementing that clean fast. And that's where I find in the eating window is a second area where people have to self-examine. So if things aren't working, sometimes you just have to say to yourself, you know what, I might just have to delay this to see if it's going to help. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that uh, when I started back in November, the most frequent question I got was, aren't you having headaches from you know being hungry? And aren't, aren't you just going nuts being hungry? And I, and honestly, Graham, from the start, I did not have the headaches and I did not have this urge to eat that much. I mean, I, I think, again, I've implanted the mindset really early into my my fasting life. Yeah, I think that's true, Ed. I think that's really true. And you've just got to say to yourself, well, what is hunger? Is this true hunger or is this body hunger? You know, what is it? And um, so that's the difference. You have to learn that difference between the mental hunger where it's, oh, man, I'm so hungry. I walk past your colleagues are eating. You walk past a fast food store. You smell those smells at a bakery, whatever it may be. That's a totally different hunger. And sometimes, most of the times, that will go away. But it's important to listen to our body, too. Well, just yesterday, in fact, I wasn't feeling that great in the afternoon, to be honest. And I just thought, you know what? I've got to eat earlier today. I just need to eat earlier. It's just one of those days where I don't particularly feel well. And as soon as I did eat, I felt a lot better. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we just got to listen to our bodies. So that's an important message. But with appetite correction, Ed, did you notice that early on or when did that happen for you that you're sort of getting to that satiety point where you just switched off? I, I did probably a good month into it. I started feeling that. Um, 
the fact that uh, I didn't get the headaches in that, but throughout my life, I don't think I could ever identify the difference in hungers. I, I, I never, never could identify that it was my body saying I was hungry or my mind. And that I struggled with all my life. Uh, so now I, you know, I use my window as more of a guide to, unless my body says, you know, exactly what you just said about you're feeling a little, you know, anxious or whatever, and you want to open your window a little early. And that, and that's, I, I want the people out there to know that's fine. You can all, you can change things. You can move things to to just keep you on on board. Yeah, true enough. And that shirt you've got on with OMAD, let's talk about your OMAD now, one meal a day lifestyle. Is that more like the restaurant style, Ed, where you'll open with a snack and then you'll have a main and maybe some dessert or how does it roll? Well, I'll have my, I'll just open with my meal and uh, I'll have my meal and then I'll have uh, my little dessert. And the dessert will maybe incorporate a uh, protein chocolate drink or a cup of coffee with hazelnut creamer, uh, no sugar, and uh, a cookie, a graham cracker, uh, you know, nothing big, just something, a, something sweet to just satisfy me. And my shirt, if you notice, it says I with a small E and then F. Well, then there's like the old Amazon thing below it, the arrows going from the I to the F, but in the middle, there's the, an arrow going to the E, which is the little time that you eat. <laughs> so, so, and then I had to put OMAD on there because I think that is my lifestyle. Yeah, love it, mate. And that shirt's getting too big on you, so you might have to get another one soon. I know. I, I just said that. To my significant other, I said, I think I got to call that girl and get a large now. This is an extra large. Yeah, fantastic. A big shout out to your significant other and thank you for supporting Ed. Uh, fantastic to have that support in our lives. And I know how important that is uh, for my own forever girl and the support that she gives me. But Ed, I can't tell you how inspiring you've been today and motivational. And if you were sitting around there in uh, sort of Illinois in your community, and obviously you just mentioned there that you give people some help and support with intermittent fasting, but if a group of people came to you and said, okay, give us a skinny head, excuse a pun, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get started? What's your best piece of advice you could give them? My best piece of advice is don't be afraid of it. Start it and give it time because that I, I left out the third the third element and that's what turned me off. And I think you got to, you have to pursue and, and do it. I would never be a person that uh, browbeats anybody that they got to do this. But if you, you ask me, I'm going to tell you. And I'm, I'm showing it. I mean, I walk this neighborhood here in our community and people that I've seen before that walked right by me They'll, now they'll stop and say, you know, you look great. You lost a lot of weight. And then they'll ask how I do it. And that, if you want to hear it, I'll tell you. So I can see it now, Ed. Over 55 communities, all of them intermittent fasters living together and living the same lifestyle. How great would that be? That would be great. And I did get a, I, I did get 
several people here that have came on come on board with it and they've uh uh, actually, one of the women that I play bags with, she's, she's doing it, and she's lost the five pounds that she didn't need to lose weight, but she's done it, and she's lost the five pounds that she wanted to lose. And that, to me, is that's a success, and, oh. and she feels good about it. But your non-scale victories, the health victories, the, people don't realize how important all that is. And the energy level goes up. So I, I tell everybody out there, just do it. Get on it. It's it's great. Yeah, I'll tell you what's great. Listening to stories like you, Ed, and getting that message out to the world, I think it's fantastic. And this podcast, as I said at the top there, is bought by our Patreon community now. And people want to support the podcast, go to the Patreon link in the show notes there and help us get it out to people around the world. But Ed, thank you for joining me here today on the Fasting Highway, and all my regards to everybody there in Chicago and Illinois, and thank you again to your two sons on the front line there. We really appreciate your work, sirs. Well, thank you for having me. If I couldn't talk to Olivia Newton-John in Australia, I'm glad I got to talk to you. Oh, so. thanks, mate. I'll try and find one, and you'll have to send me a picture of those graham crackers because I'm really interested in them. Cheers, Ed. Yeah. Have a great day. Okay, thank you, Graham. Oh, thank you so much, Ed. I really enjoyed that chat with you. Super inspiring, mate. Unbelievable. Fantastic. And you really are a shining light for people that say that they're too old to start something like intermittent fasting. Well, you're certainly disproving that. Getting out on the baseball field. What an inspiration. Remarkable. And good luck to everything you do in the future, Ed. I hope to catch up with you in 6 to 12 months' time to see how you're going. I want to find out about those baseball stats. Also, uh, folks, as you heard in the podcast there, uh, these episodes are brought to you by our Patreon community. Uh, support for the podcast is super important to keep going. So if you enjoy the podcast and the stories like it each week, if you wouldn't mind going and having a look at that, uh, the link's there in the show notes, www.patreon.com forward slash the fasting highway. You can see the two levels of the support and the benefits that you get in return. We've had some great engagement in the Patreon community already. We had our first Zoom online coffee catch-up with people all over the world. That was fantastic. Uh, we had an inspiring chat with Keith McDonald, uh, All Things IF, uh, for our Patreon members. And each week, there'll be something different there for you in return for your support. Okay, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.